Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're going to be today, continuing to walk through 1 Samuel. Um, and we've hit one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible, David and Goliath. Most of us can probably quote the basics of this narrative. We can talk about, necessarily t say what the story is about, what's going on, who wins, and all that. Uh, some of us might even remember uh, the VeggieTale version of this called David and the Giant Pickle, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of y'all don't. You're too young or maybe you're too old. I don't know. I'm not going to put either one of you in either category. But those of us who are around this middle range, yeah, we've had David and the Giant Pickle. That was our version of David and Goliath. But we've heard this story time and time again, and we've heard it applied to our lives so many times Sometimes we see these, we hear these sermons and we hear about, we got to be like David and face our giants, right? We got to face our giants. And, and, and I get that. But I think sometimes that kind of message may miss the point of David and Goliath. And, and, and while we may not necessarily cover it exactly, I want to give you kind of the, the main point of why we have the narrative of David and Goliath. What it's really trying to show us is, that, is how Jesus was willing to take on our greatest giant, that being sin. See, many, many times we want to be the hero of the story, and we want to be David. But Jesus is what is being foreshadowed in the story of David and Goliath. If we're anybody, it's the Israelites. We're the ones hiding, which is why today's sermon is about the difference between fake courage and real courage. In fact, this chapter is so big, we're actually going to split it up into two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about specifically fake courage, and the next week, we'll look at the real courage and what's really going on in this narrative. And so if you will go ahead and look with me in... 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 11, but we're going to continue to read as we go through the sermon today, but I want us to read just to kind of set up the context with the first 11 verses. Verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, and which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and, weight, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his leg, on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. And he stood and he shouted, uh, to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father God, we thank you once again for the time that we are given here to study your word. God, such a familiar passage to many of us, God. We've heard it so many times in our Sunday school classes. We've seen uh, versions of it on TV. But God, I pray today as we dive off into your word that we wouldn't just rest on what we already know, God, but you would reveal to us something new today that we need to hear. God, something that maybe we've missed in this narrative. God, we thank you for what David was able to do, and we thank you that David's story here, his, his life, points us to Jesus and what he did for us because of our sin. So God, remind us of these truths today. Remind us of your word. Help us, God, to be encouraged, God, to be motivated to do what you have called us to do. It is in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. So we see in the scripture here in the beginning, and I won't rehash all those details that, that kind of drag along there at the beginning, but just kind of help us to understand what's happening here. We see the Philistines have come to challenge the Israelites, and both parties have prepared their armies, and the battle line's been drawn. This is about to be a war to take place, but the Philistines had a secret weapon. We know him as Goliath. He stood about nine and a half feet tall. His armor, I know it's got all these weird measurements that we don't use. We don't measure by shekels and cubits and all that. But um, his armor weighed over 120 pounds. This is a big dude with a lot of weight going on, and, and it's a very intimidating person. It's unlike anything anyone has ever seen, including us in this generation. And the sheer sight of this giant exposed a problem in the Israelites. It was that they never actually had real courage. It was fake. It was fake courage. I want to explain what fake courage looks like and why it's a problem, even for us today as Christians here in 2023. And the first thing is this, is that fake courage facing opposition leads to fear. Fake courage facing opposition leads to to fear. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me again. He, being Goliath, says verse 8, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So imagine with me this massive human being is standing before you and he's laying out a challenge. He says, give me one of your men and we're going to go one on one to decide the fate of our people. If I win, you're our servants. But if you win, we'll serve you. 
Goliath defied the ranks of Israel, which also means he defied God. He had gone against the people of God, and though the people should stand in courage and fight for the kingdom of God, they cowered in fear. They stood ready to fight in the beginning of this message, but the moment Goliath came out and he created an opposition, they saw him and they fell into fear. They became cowards. And there are many in our world today who will call themselves Christians, especially here in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Leake County, Mississippi, who will call themselves Christian, but at a moment of opposition, they cower. They fall. Listen, the Bible is very clear in Scripture, right? It's very clear that we are going to have adversaries. I don't know why this keeps throwing us off guard when someone says they don't believe in God. I don't know why it throws us off when we look on TV that people don't act like a Christian. The Bible is very clear. We're going to be in the minority. We're going to be less of us than there are of the non-believers. So guess what you're going to see more of in our world? Non-believers acting like non-believers. We're going to have adversaries. That's going to happen. We're going to experience trials. We're going to experience persecution. It's nothing that should catch us off guard, though. And yet, many, many times we face it and we cower down. We'll stand firm in our theology and our doctrine as long as no one challenges us on that theology and doctrine. We'll say, I firmly believe in blank... But the moment someone comes after our beliefs, we'll say, well, I didn't mean it like that, or I didn't mean it to be that harsh, or, you know, I really meant this. Like, really? Why is it that we can stand here and say what we believe, and we talk about how awful the world is, but then the moment we go out those doors, we're quiet? Why, why is that? Why are we too scared to even share the gospel for the fear of potential opposition? Why do we do this, church? That's something we've got to ask ourselves. We've got to ask it about us here at Madden. Everybody's got to ask it in their church. Why do we care more about our own pride that's only going to lead to fear and keep us silent? Listen, even in the days of Joshua, it was instilled in the lives of the Israelites to be strong and courageous. Why did God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Well, it says in Joshua 1.6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Joshua had to be strong and courageous. Why? So that the people could get to the promised land. Listen, the world needs you to be strong and courageous. Why? To get them to Jesus. When the world is opposing you, when the world is pushing back, because they already, those Israelites, they already found that opposition and it stopped them from going the first time, did it not? And all of them didn't get to see it. It was their next generations that got to see it. Joshua, you've got to be strong and courageous if they're going to get to the promised land. Listen, church, we've got to be strong and courageous if the loss is going to come to salvation. If there's going to be any hope of light in this dark world, it is going to come when we are courageous. But the problem is we fall too many times into a coward mode, into a fake courage. Listen, you will not find a story in the Bible that God used a cowardice person to accomplish his will. 
You won't find that in the Scriptures. All you will find is people who were faithful and willing to serve. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. Did they show signs of cowardice every now and then? Sure. Peter's a great example. In a moment of weakness, he became a coward, and he denied Jesus three times. But praise God, there's forgiveness, and in Acts chapter 2, he showed the greatest courage of all time, and 3,000 people were saved. We have to be people who show true courage. It cannot be fake. We cannot live with the spirit of fear because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-control. See, another thing fake courage does is this. It makes you feel like you're being productive, that you're doing something. Go to verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. This is now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So they're doing something, right? Verse 19, they're doing something. It says, David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And he took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Again, they think they're doing something. Verse 21, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Again, you're doing something. Verse 22, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. The Israelites and the Philistines were drawn up for battle. Israelites stood with great courage before the Philistines, ready for battle. But once again, the moment Goliath showed up, the Israelites fled. So we've already seen how fake courage leads to fear, but here we are seeing it again. But it's this moment before Goliath comes out that I want us to talk about. Right? So David has come to bring food to his brothers, and he hears the war cries. He sees the host going out to battle. They look like they're going to do something. They look like they're ready to be productive for the glory of God. But what happened? Nothing. They ran in fear. But boy, they did something. They went out there. They, they shouted the war cry, did they not? They made all the right noises. They said all the right things. What courage it took to go stand out there, right? Where was that courage when Goliath showed up? See, it's not courage at all. It's fake. In that moment, they were, they were proud of themselves, chest stuck out, ready to fight. But there was no real courage there. It was exposed when Goliath showed up. Look, it's easy to post on social media your biblical beliefs. It's easy to post a Bible verse on your social media when all your friends believe in the same thing as you. It's another thing when someone gets in that comment section and starts opposing you. It's easy to think we're being productive for the Lord when you come to church and you talk about Jesus with great courage here in this church. But if you can't walk out these doors and talk about Jesus, it's fake. It's easy to say here that we believe God's word and what it, what it says against certain viewpoints like homosexuality and abortion. But where's the courage when you have a family member struggling with homosexuality? I'll get quiet then, right? I won't say too much. 
Listen, they need you to be firm in your faith. They need you to be firm in your faith and proclaim the gospel with great courage. Listen, it's one thing to teach the Bible in church. It's another thing to go out into this world and proclaim it. And yes, it's important that we raise up the next generation here at this church, that we equip one another with the teaching of God's holy word. But that is not the whole duty of man, is it not? It's important we do that here. It's important we teach it here. But it's another thing to go out. And listen, I'm telling myself this. It's easy to preach to you. It's another thing to say the same thing to somebody out there. But this is what we do. I think I'm doing enough because I'm standing here preaching the word to you. Those of you who teach Sunday school, you think that's enough. I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm teaching the Bible. I'm good. That's only part of it. We're supposed to equip the saints, yes, but we're supposed to go out and proclaim the gospel to the lost and dying world. So we can't sit here and say we're being productive when half of our duty is not being produced. Israelites were setting up for battle. They looked ready. They looked motivated. But when life came at them in the form of Goliath, the attitude changed. And we do the same. We can make ourselves busy and we can convince ourselves that we're being productive through courage and making things happen. We can convince ourselves that we have great faith because everything is going well. But what happens when it starts falling apart? Where is your faith when it's falling apart? It's easy to have faith when things are going well because you're not actually using faith. It's when you don't know the next step. It's when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Where is your faith then? The Israelites showed where their faith was. It wasn't in God. Their courage wasn't in God. It was in themselves. And that is why it's fake. It's easy to line up for battle when Goliath's not standing on the other side. But when Goliath is in front of you, are you willing to stand and show real courage? Another sad reality of fake courage, we got to be careful of, church, is that fake courage discourages real courage. Fake courage discourages real courage. Keep reading here with me. Verse 25. It says, The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? What it, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. So David sees what's going on. He sees that the Israelites, they're in fear. They're hiding. He sees their struggle. He sees that they're concerned. But he tries to remind them about the power of the living God. Go back to verse 26. Look at the last question David asked in verse 26. What does he say? Right? He asked this question. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What is the, who is this man that defies the living God? David is asking He's saying, are you kidding, guys? We, we have God. We have the living God watching over us, protecting us. And you're worried about Goliath? You're worried about this Philistine? Listen, the battle is bigger than trying to def- defeat a giant. It's more than that. It's, to, it's for the honor of God to show these uncircumcised people who is really in control. But in that moment when David is asking these questions, his oldest brother, Eliab, comes over and he speaks to David angrily. He's mad at David. Why are you here? Why are you not with the sheep? David then goes, what did I do wrong? What, did, what, what have I done that's wrong? But David doesn't let this exchange deter him. He continues, and he continues to motivate the men. But then Saul gets word. And David goes to Saul, and David says, I'll go fight the giant. If none of them will, I'll go. And Saul goes, no, 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 David, you can't. You're just a youth. You're too young. He's been fighting since he was your age. and You haven't done anything. You're just a sheep herder. Saul, Eliab, And the rest of the army has done nothing but show fake courage. And it's been exposed by this giant. And the moment David showed up with some real courage, he was met by opposition by those who were supposed to be in one accord with him. The people that should be believing as he was believing, they were opposing him. Eliab was mad. I ain't going to let little brother show me up. Go back where you come from, brother. Saul discredits David because of his age. Listen, David was looking to get something done under the power of God and his own people were trying to stop him. But you know what? It doesn't surprise me because churches do this all the time. I can't tell you how many times you hear of this. And this is why many churches are dying. Someone comes and acts in great faith, encouraged to do something productive for the Lord, and it's disrupted by those who, who say, you know what, that's not the way we've always done it. Now, I understand there's a lot of wisdom in implementing new ideas and new ways of doing things in church. I get that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. But I've heard so many pastors that have tried new things, have tried things that they believe were going to be most effective in drawing people to the Lord, only to be met by the most damning statement anybody can ever make. We've never done it that way before. That's not how we've always done it. What a discouraging statement. 
See, the moment a pastor might want to encourage a church member to show some real courage, do something for the Lord, we start taking a step back. We go back into that fake courage because that's safer. Pastor, I like it in the shallow wind because my feet touch the ground. I feel more courageous when my feet touch the floor. I feel more courageous when I don't have to actually exercise my faith. When I can just show up to church and then leave when you get done. Y'all, I'm so glad Jesus came to die for my sins just so we could be comfortable in our routine as a church family. Let me say that again. Because I want that to hurt. Because it's hurting me. I'm so glad Jesus came to die for my sins just so we could be comfortable in our routine as a church family. That's supposed to hurt. But you can look at that statement and you think, how silly of that? How silly is that? But do you get what I'm saying, church? Courage is not found in the places of comfort. You ask any person that has served in the military where they found courage, did you find it in a place of comfort? No. Courage was shown where? Where it was hardest. That's what we need to be. The Israelites were comfortable hiding from Goliath. At the moment, David said, I'll do it. Oh no, David, you can't. You're too young. This is too big of a task for you, David. You're not old enough. And let me say this. As a former youth pastor, never discourage a young believer from doing something just because you think they're too young. The Bible is filled with young men and women who own their faith and built up the kingdom of God for His glory. David is just one example of that. Timothy. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He said, Timothy, yes, Timothy, you are young compared to most pastors. Timothy, yes, you are young compared to most leaders. But don't let that be your excuse. But you be the example of faith. You show the church. You lead them courageously, Timothy. One other example of a young person doing big things for the glory of God, try Mary. Young teenager, engaged, betrothed to be married, and she's told, you're going to birth the Savior of the world. You're going to carry this baby. Yes, people are going to look at you. Yes, you'll be pregnant before you're married, but have great courage. And she did. She raised the Savior as a child and trusted in God that one day she'll have to give Him back to God as a sacrifice. And it all started when she was young. And I praise God that we have, church, that we have a church full of young families and young children. I praise the Lord for it. That we have little ones to teach and bring up under the Word of the Lord. But we adults cannot discourage their courage to be bold for Jesus. We cannot discourage others from being courageous just because we wouldn't go talk to someone, just because we wouldn't visit that family, just because we wouldn't talk to that person about Jesus. We shouldn't discourage others from doing that as well. We cannot think that we are courageous and doing good things for the Lord, and yet we ignore all the times we back away when it got a little hard, when we come up across a disagreement. 
Let me ask you, what if Jesus backed away when it got hard? What if Jesus said never mind when he was sweating blood in the garden praying? What if Jesus lacked courage when he was condemned to death? Just imagine Jesus, everybody's yelling crucifying, saying, oh, if that's how it's going to be, I'm gone. See you later, I ain't dying. I mean, what if Jesus did that? Jesus showed us the greatest act of courage by going to the cross, taking on our sins, and dying in our place so that we could have eternal life. And it's that salvation from hell that should motivate us to have courage against the evils of this world. To have the courage to stand, to have faith when it gets hard. Just like David is asking in verse 26, what are those things compared to the holy, living God? What is this evil in this world compared to a holy, living God? God will overcome all. And knowing that truth, having salvation in God, gives us the courage to walk out those doors ready to go and do battle. We can't sit here and prepare for battle, get our war cry going on, and then walk out and be quiet. That's what the Israelites did. But as we'll continue to see next week, David wasn't going to do that. And we can't accept it either. But first, we need to recognize that we are sinners. And we need salvation. The only way to get that courage is through salvation. We need to believe that Jesus took on our sins to the cross so that we could be saved from the eternal torment of hell. It's real. It's a place that, that the evil will go, that the lost who choose not to follow Jesus will go. It's not a place anybody wants to be, but many will reside in. But today, if you recognize that you are lost, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved from your sins today. The Bible says if you believe in what Jesus did for you, if you believe in the resurrection and you confess Him as Lord, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved. Not maybe, not we'll see, no, we'll be saved. So if that's you, I want to ask you to come forward. I'll be right here. If you, if you feel that call to salvation, will you come forward here in just a moment when we start playing the music? But maybe you're already here and you are a Christian. But you already have in your mind times where you lacked courage. You had times where you knew you were supposed to talk to that person about Jesus, but you didn't. You had those moments where maybe somebody pushed against you a little and you backed off when you really shouldn't have. Maybe you've noticed, noticed how fake your courage really is. I'm going to ask you to do this if you're able. Come forward and repent. Seek forgiveness for that fake courage. And ask the Lord to show you how to be courageous. If that's you, you can come to this altar and repent of that today. However God's asking you to respond, church, will you be faithful to do that now? Let's pray. Father God, again, we come to you giving you all the praise for this day. God, we thank you for this story of David and Goliath. 
But God, we see in this first part of the story of how times there's times where we think we're, we're courageous. The Israelites thought they were courageous. They stood in line for battle only to face opposition and back away. God, they were exposed that maybe they really didn't have their faith and trust in you. But God, I thank you for people like David who are willing to expose it and willing to show it and be the example. So I pray that we would rid ourselves of this fake courage that we say we have, God, that we say we're courageous and yet we don't actually do anything with it. God, we would move away from that and we would hold on to real courage, God, because of your son, Jesus. God, we wouldn't be like the Israelites in hiding, but we would trust in the living God. You, God, you are alive. Your son is sitting at your right hand today, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, God. Help us to use that power so that, God, the lost can be found, so that others will know of your goodness. God, move us where we need to be moved. Save those who need to be saved today. God, if we need to come to this altar and repent, move us to repentance. God, do with us what you desire today. And it's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen.